0: Welcome to the Joy of Gardening by Estabrooks. I'm Tom Estabrook. I'm your host, and we're back on another Saturday. Here we are. We're getting towards the end of February. March is starting here soon, and the start of spring is going to come. The temperatures are starting to warm up a little bit. The birds are starting to sing a little bit more. The sun's getting a little bit brighter, and the days are getting a little bit longer. There is hope. There is hope for sure. Um, Today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, houseplants. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit also with uh, Jim Massey, nursery manager of Yarmouth. He's going to talk some more about new perennials. Uh, A couple weeks ago we talked to him about a few things. But we've got so many new things this year. We're going to talk about some more of those varieties that are exciting. Um, We're also going to talk a little bit about uh, roses at some point too here. Uh, Favorite of all our folks here in Maine. And we're also going to talk a little bit, um, you know, how to get over winter, how just to get past winter, you know, and move into mud season. So we've got a couple questions. We're going to talk with, we've got Joy from Gorham, and she wanted to talk about houseplants. And last week, I I kind of talked a little bit about this in the tip of the week, um, and this kind of kinda spurred some more questions and whatnot but Joy sent me a nice picture of her ficus tree and uh, it didn't look very good and this is pretty typical of ficus trees and it's a pretty common house plant Uh, we see them all over the place Uh, we see them in malls we see them in office buildings and of course in your homes so joy basically said my house plants aren't looking good I have yellow leaves dropping leaves all over just overall my plants are going downhill and we talked about a little bit about this in the tip of the week last week um house plants they really need good light so we're gonna kind of we're gonna go a little bit beyond that tip last week so with house plants it's important that there's a couple things we do. We may give them some supplemental light in January and February. So every so often, you know, we'll put a 100-watt light bulb in that nice lamp and we'll turn it on for a few hours during the evening. So, you know, say from 6 o'clock when you get home, you leave that light on till 9 o'clock. Maybe even put it on a timer. And it's one of those things where you add and trick the plant to think it's a longer day than it is and this helps with house plants keep their leaves it also helps them thrive during our cold winter months now it's not just the cold that's the issue now you could have a cold draft they could be a a nice sunny window but the window is drafty and that can be a problem or the other problem that can can be is just the light levels we just get so dark in in January February that the plants start shedding their leaves now with ficus, I want to tell you, they go through many trans- transitions in their lives. You probably have bought a ficus tree from a garden center or a store or whatnot, and you bring it home, and after a month, half the leaves drop off. You've done nothing wrong. The plant actually adjusts its leaves to the light in which it's available. So the plant actually will drop a bunch of its leaves that are used to being in full sun in a nursery in Florida or at our garden center and you bring it in and you put it in that dark corner that just needs that tall plant and the plant will grow and thrive and do very well there but the light is different. So on a lot of house plants you actually will shed a tremendous amount of foliage and whatnot depending on your situation and how the plant will adjust so on that particular plant ficus trees they will drop quite a few leaves now joy I think what's happening here for your ficus tree is we're getting towards the end of February we've gone through the time frame when it's really really dark we're starting to get lighter out things are starting to kinda look up outside it's getting You know, it's light out till 6 o'clock at night. You know, we're all a little more energetic. Well, that plant's becoming a little more energetic also. So it's looking to probably shed some of those old leaves. It's looking to actually put on some new leaves. But the key is we have to give it the tools in which to do so. So my questions to you are, did you listen to the tip of the week last week? And if so, then you're going to be repotting that plant with a nice organic soil. And we talked about, you know, importance of a good fertilizer with micronutrients. So that's extremely important. We're going to go ahead and treat this plant with a nice new pot, new soil, new fertilizer. We're going to pick up our water just a little bit. We're going to loosen those roots when we repot it because it's very compact root system. And we're going to give it all the tools to grow. And We're going to start tending it a little bit more, and I think what you'll find is the plant's going to start to go ahead and reward us with a bunch of growth. Now the other couple things that we want to look at is you you mentioned yellow and dropping leaves, so we always want to look for insects and disease. We didn't talk a lot about this in, in our tip of the week, but insects and disease can be the number one sign and reason why your plants are declining you might have put your plants out on the back deck you know all last summer you brought them in and hopefully you did some maintenance with some general insecticide or some systemic insecticide to ward off the insects that were on the plant last fall when you had them outside or if you didn't put them outside boy, you enjoyed all summer with those windows open didn't you and all those little creepy crawlies were blowing in there you know having a great time with the wind, and so you got some spider mites, maybe you got some mealy bug, maybe you got some scale, and these all kind of fester until the right conditions. Well, whenever a plant is stressed, these types of things attack, they multiply, they divide, they devour so with the with the light levels that we have in January and February, that's the time when house plants are the most stressed. You know, they open themselves up for opportunity like spider mite, mealybugs, you know, scale, and any other insects, aphids, white flies. You know, maybe you had poinsettias in the house, and you use them for, you know, December, January, February. You know, you're getting towards Valentine's Day. You say, wow, that still looks pretty red, but it's kind of scraggly at this point. But what you didn't realize is maybe there was a few white flies that, you know, multiply and divide, you know, over that time frame and they, they move over to your houseplants. So, we want to be mindful of that. We want to go ahead and check to make sure we don't have any insect or disease problems. Because even if you pot the plant up, even if you do the fertilizing in the new soil and the new pot and all the things you're doing right, if we've got something stressing the plant, like spider mite, and the way I always tell people to look for spider mite is does the leaf look dusty or your plants just dusty? So the leaf will look kind of speckled. It'll almost look like dust. You may see some small webbing in the crotches of the plant. Um, you may also um, have kind of a dull shimmer to it. So if you see any of those signs, especially ivies, always keep a close eye on ivy. They're, they're very prone. And then also, look: does the plant look really shiny? Does it look sticky? If it's sticky, it could be aphids, or it could be scale, or it could be mealybug. If you see little white, fluffy insects on there, in the crotches or on the stems, or big brown or black bumps, or white bumps, it's probably scale, aphids, or, or uh, mealybug. If that's the case, then when we repot the plant, we'll put some systemic granules in the soil. That will go up and fight the... The insects from the inside and go up through the branches and into the leaves, you know we can use an organic spray you know like a safer soap or something to knock them back but the the internal will really cut the problems down you know and and make sure that you're cleaning the plant completely with with some of these insects on house plants they're truly very tough to get rid of by just spraying or picking off but you can wipe them off you know mealybug and scale you can take a little rubbing alcohol on a q-tip and you can kind of just go over the top of them or a dormant oil would work too but rubbing alcohol will will work on that also so make sure if you're going to use a pot that you already have make sure and sterilize the pot just wash it down with a little bleach solution and water Clean that pot before you go ahead and plant the plant in it um, and sterilize that pot. Make sure that you don't leave your plant sitting in a tray full of water. In January and February, it's important that you put rocks in your trays. You know, so if you have a nice glazed saucer, put some rock in it. Okay, so when you water, the water will drain through and then also it will humidify the plant. So you've got this saucer full of water and as your heating system comes on and off, That water will evaporate and it will actually go into your home. It'll make it feel warmer and it also will go ahead and add, you know, some nice moisture for the plant. Another good tip is if you're looking to humidify your house, when you come into the garden center and you're looking at these beautiful fountains that you want to put out in your yard, now we've got these nice little ones, you know, and the nice part about them is you can take them in out of the garden and use them as a humidifier all winter. So when you're looking in the garden center and you're thinking about garden accents and maybe you want a little fountain or whatnot, use it out in the garden all summer. But then instead of packing it away for the winter, bring it indoors and start and run it indoors. That will add a tremendous amount of water you know, and humidity to your home and your plants will just love it. Humidity can be a big thing to why plants don't do well in the winter also. So I think, Joy, that should help you out. Certainly, we appreciate the pictures. You know, I think, Ficus, you're doing everything right. It looked to me like there was nice green growth on the outside. It looked like it had done some natural shedding. I think you're on the right path. Just a couple other steps, and you'll probably be off to the races. And this March weather will just make the plant flourish. So we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with more of the Joy of Gardening. News Talk, WLOB.
1: I'm in a state
0: of caffeination Got all my fingers must have been my large Americano, Mochino, Macchiato. Now the family's gone to bed, and that's my favorite time to get some tips on better rates. Cause my state farm guy answers late, and even when it's not my agent, someone's standing by so patient. Getting coverage questions answered helps me to relax. Get to a better
1: state, state
2: farm. Can you tell if these vegetables are being contaminated with bacteria that could cause paralysis? Listen, you can't see it either. Use
0: different cutting boards so that the bacteria in raw meats and seafood and their juices doesn't touch prep surfaces for other foods like veggies. Raw food may contain bacteria that can make you very sick or worse. Roughly 3,000 Americans will die from food poisoning this year, but you can keep your family safer. Check your steps at foodsafety.gov. Brought to you by the USDA, HHS, and
2: the Ad Council.
0: Welcome back to the Joy of Gardening by Esther Brooks. Uh, we're we're uh, we're talking spring perennials. We're talking new perennials at Esther Brooks. So we're uh, we're excited to bring Jim Massey, uh, nursery manager from Esther Brooks, back on with us. Uh, he talked with us a couple weeks ago about a few things, and gosh, there's so much new stuff, Jim. Uh, what do we got going on?
1: Well, thanks for having me, Tom. Um, well, you know always a challenge is shade and color in the shade so um i have a fern that's a new fern variety um to talk about today it's a japanese painted fern um also um, trying to get color and texture difference in the shade Uh, this plant um, encompasses both of those things it's got a gray divided leaf with a red um splotch down the middle of the leaf and each um, pinnae or frond on the fern is twisted a little bit slightly. So it kind of gives you a lot of projection to work with in the shade. You know, very easy to grow, um, hardy to zone for. You know, it gets to be about, you know, 12 to 14 inches tall. Great mixed with, you know, um, red foliage, coral bells, or some of the blue hosta. Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of a new painted fern for us this year.
0: Okay. Um, yeah. Do you see ferns as being something that more customers should use?
1: Yeah, it's it's uh, very interesting because um, you know, we plant geeks, so to speak, um, love all the texture be- because the color and shade is so fleeting that when you start with a, you know, colorful leaf um, that lasts the whole season, it's really... You know of value so without texture and a little bit of foliage color all season you know can really look um, kind of boring and all green out there
0: so and, and is it important with ferns for them to to have good moisture
1: yeah in the beginning actually just in the beginning growth but a lot of these ferns um, are really tolerant of dry situations once they're established and you know usually establishment is like a year to year and a half so um, a lot of the ferns are very tolerant to you know a bit of sun in the afternoon, uh, as long as they don't if they're not in you know dead dry soil. I would say.
0: Yeah, yeah. and any of that dry shade area, right. I think customers really need to understand that yeah. when it comes to July and August, right. you've got to water no matter how right, absolutely how yeah. drought tolerant these are.
1: Right, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Okay. What else do we have?
1: Well, I was mentioning as well, you know, some of the red foliage um, coral bells. And this year there's a new coral bell out. Um, There's many new, but this one is a selection um, with really large 8 to 10-inch leaves. Uh, It's a variety called magnum. You know, you're usually looking at a plant that's going to be, you know, 12 to 14 inches tall, the mound of foliage, flowers, or anywhere. There's a pinkish-white spike that rises up above that um, mound of foliage this foliage is red it has some splashes of silver on it and some other darker red spots and you know blooms in usually the june time period um... again with something like a gray leafed fern or even a blue hosta, you know that's a great combination for shade mm-hmm. it, you know i wouldn't want to say dark shade on this plant this plant would probably want four good four hours of sun but any early morning sunlight would be, you know, ideal for that. And again, um, this is another drought-tolerant perennial once established.
0: Coral bells are one of those things that you want to be cautious about enriching the soil too much so you make sure they will overwinter.
1: Right, yeah. So coral bells ideally would want to uh, freely drain sandy soil that you've added some organic matter to. Again, a wet or a clay-like soil, um, would certainly not be to their liking but
0: right and and Corabells there's a million colors from lime greens oh, to yeah. oranges to you know just a, a tremendous amount of variety now this one sounds like it's really vigorous and has that nice big leaf which is really nice
1: yeah um, big foliage again you can see it in the shade and this is a hybrid of, of our one of our native Types, um, so it's a really sturdy, sturdy plant. So.
0: Native, always good. Yeah, always, absolutely. always those native strains. Okay. Mm-hmm. What else we have on tap?
1: Well, I thought we'd move out of shade for a bit. Um, irises are very popular. You know, it's a um, it's a really known plant in Maine. The blue blue types of irises, Siberian irises, but one of the varieties that I like are called the Japanese irises. So. Mm-hmm. Instead of the last two weeks of June for an iris to bloom, typical of Siberians, these are in the first two weeks of July. Um, the variety I, was, I singled out today is called monogasumi, um, sure. which is a pink <laughs> flower, um, very close to as true pink as you get an iris. The flowers are probably four to five inches across, so wow. it's very showy. Um, will handle wet feet any normal moist soil and each flower has um, some darker pink striping on it as well so kind of a different look in irises Uh, a lot of people struggle with irises in the garden because of uh, how much space they can take up but i see you know a really great application to you know the japanese irises for being in like a low kind of Drainage swale area next to a driveway, perhaps, or you know about six hours of sun is what what they would prefer, so
0: okay okay yeah, and, yeah. and talk to me a little bit about you know obviously you've got German iris and Japanese, and how long a bloom time if you take all the different irises and, and put them together what what I mean it sounds like this is extending the bloom time with this variety
1: yeah. So what you have with the uh, Germanics, y- y- you actually have minis, which bloom you know, early June, your Germanics or your bearded irises, which bloom in the June time frame. A lot of those are repeat, uh, repeat bloomers mm-hmm. as well, um, so early June is, are going to be your, uh, your mini bearded and your full-size bearded iris or Germanic iris. Then you have uh, mid to end of June are going to be your Siberians. So your blues, your whites, and then the um, first couple of weeks of July are all of your ensada types or your Japanese types. So okay. you get a good, good long stretch in there. And you can do
0: areas. everything from dry, which the Germans are going to like a lot more, to right. to really standing water on some of these. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. So we've got a ton of perennials new. We're going to yeah. take a break. And uh, we'll be right back with The Joy of Gardening uh, by Esther Brooks, And we'll be talking more with Jim Massey.
2: Hey, Mom. I'm really star- starving for a snack. Yeah, I was thinking maybe some, some pepperoni breadsticks. How did you know I love pepperoni? Wait, are you able to, to- read your mind? Of course. I'm a mom. So, you know about the sea I got in geography? I do now. It's the recipe that's so easy. It's not a recipe. It's a recipe Like Hormel pepperoni baked on top of breadsticks. Find more tasty ideas at recipe Hormel. Life better served. Do you have planting insurance? You can with Biotone Starter Plus from Maspoma. It's the ultimate starter plant food, and you can use it for everything you plant. Just mix it in with the soil. It works like three products in one to guarantee your success, even in poor soils. The secret is a special blend of natural organic plant food, beneficial microbes, and mycorrhizal fungi. The result is that plants grow faster, roots grow deeper, and flowers and vegetables become more abundant. Maintain your plants with the Tones, a full line of organic plant foods including Holly Tone, Plant Tone, and Rose Tone. There's a tone for almost every tree, shrub, flower, or vegetable. Best of all, every Espoma product is safe for people, pets, and the environment. Look for Biotone Starter Plus at your local garden center and visit espoma.com videos for product info and valuable gardening tips. Espoma, a natural in the garden since 1929.
0: And welcome back to the Joy of Gardening by Estabrooks. Uh we're talking today with Jim Massey, nursery manager at Estabrooks in Yarmouth. Um we've been talking about new perennials. Uh so a lot of a lot of new exciting stuff. The iris sound really really cool, Jim. What else do we have new?
1: Well, you know, peonies are always very exciting, especially new introductions of peonies. Um, so
0: they're they're like a main standard peonies. Right. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> very easy to grow, um, very hardy, Uh, they don't need to be divided or maintained really other than just taking the the spent flowers off. Um, There are a couple uh, things with peonies this year, there's a um, bunch of varieties that are kind of new to the market called Ito hybrids, they're a cross between um, the typical garden peony that we all know and love and the Japanese uh, tree peony, so this is a um, really arduous process of selection and all, but what we've um, gotten from those crosses, um, we have uh, larger single flowers on, on some, on most of these peonies. Uh, I'll talk about two varieties today, specifically in just a minute. Uh, we also have um, really nice foliage that holds up, you know, all summer, very disease-resistant. You know, a lot of the older varieties of peonies had problems with, um, you know, uh some fungal issues on the foliage yeah, these usually, are much much dirtier. A lot of botrytis, right that's right yep. yeah yeah botrytis. especially when they're not in um a perfect soil okay mm-hmm. who has perfect soil all the time
0: this is main yeah. no such thing as perfect right, soil right
1: exactly so um so a couple of the these also have a potential to rebloom uh once the plants get larger so you're looking at another bloom usually within uh, three to four weeks from the, from the initial heavy bloom. Um, and the single flowers allow the plants to hold themselves up better so when you have a lot of rain they don't uh, flop or fall over. So a couple of the varieties um, that I picked out today, there's one called Old Rose Dandy, which is kind of um, the flowers emerge kind of a brickish red to sunset shade and as they open you have darker spots towards the yellow center again it's a single flower um plant the flowers can be 5 to 6 to 7 inches across wow yeah and um uh the foliage is blue green really beautiful foliage the um flowers as they age they have uh flushes of sunset colors as well so these you know yellows and oranges and ruddy Colors are really new to the peony peony market, um, especially for such strong growers. So,
0: yeah, and That's, on on the Ito peonies, they, yeah. they are a little bit more expensive because they are a cross. So, Correct. Yeah, you know, yep. I think a lot of people don't understand tree peonies. They're really like a shrub. They're kind of a, a woody shrub. These are a cross between regular peonies and a shrubby peony, like a tree peony, um, and you know, you get the bang. You know, the tree peonies have such big, beautiful flowers. Um, that is that really the claim to fame to these itos?
1: Yeah, big, beautiful flowers. And these itos, even though they are crossed with the tree form, they are herbaceous. Mm-hmm. So they come from the ground every year. Okay. So you don't have to worry about how to prune them or, or which. So they're very uh, familiar plants as well. So
0: Would you still recommend, you know, staking them?
1: You might want to stake them. It depends on the environment that they're in. Um, okay. I would certainly try to not stake if possible, just, you know, depending on the exposure and how windy the situation, is. especially in June when these flower. you know, weather can be a little bit unpredictable, so your comfort level, I think, with staking. Yeah, I so try not to stake if possible. Um,
0: it's always that big rainstorm that
1: kills us. Yeah, <laughs>
0: that's
1: right. Yeah. So the other variety... Um, is a yellow form and yellow uh, peonies, whether they be tree peony or or not, are really um, they're making big inroads into breeding, especially with the etos. Um the, the yellow one that I chose is called Prairie Charm, and again, that's a big flower, seven seven to eight inch flower. This is a semi double flower, mm. so you're going to have that um, old fashioned, you know, semi double look a beautiful butter yellow and as the uh, the petals go towards the center there's some red sunset shades as well.
0: So. Oh, so nice bicolor. Yeah,
1: very yeah, very much so bicolor. Most, mostly
0: absolutely. yellow but just gets that little flare in there.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah. So kind of really interesting um you know varieties uh, in peonies coming along. So.
0: Yeah, always always a good staple and and something that uh you can always find room for one more peony. it's kind of like a, kind of like a lilac or a hydrangea, right
1: right, yeah, so I had um also a couple other you know spring may um perennials that were kind of new this year um, and these are kind of a improved forms on on things that we already know, and there's a theme going here, improvements of mm-hmm. old classics, so um there's a poppy out this year called Carmen which is a dwarf bright kind of a red orange the plant gets to be about 15 inches tall we're looking at a may bloom time um it'll actually go in combination with the next plant i speak of i think very well Mm -hmm. so it's a red orange red dark orange red flower poppies as you know have those beautiful crepe paper like blossoms And the center is a dark, black center. Mm -hmm. And with a height of 15 inches, you know, it's very easy to work into smaller landscapes or the front of the border. You know, some of the older poppies were always relegated to the back of the bed. And, you know, one windstorm, they're on the ground. So this is kind of a nice nice size to work with in the garden. And do
0: you find poppies, you know, I, I have customers all the time that say, my poppies keep dying. You know, is it a soil thing? Is it they go dormant in the summer? What?
1: Yeah, well, there's a couple things that can happen with poppies. Typically when they die, somebody's tried to move them. They Mm -hmm. only like to be moved in the fall when they're dormant. Okay. Um, Or it's a soil condition thing. They're in too heavy or moist a soil, and they can uh, rot out, or sometimes they just grow themselves to death in that soil. Mm -hmm. Um, But typically, poppies go summer dormant. So it's normal for, that, for them after they bloom to go yellow, and then you don't see them for the rest of the season. Um, but typically, poppies want to be in an unadulterated, sunny situation in a freely drained, sandy soil. That's where they like it best, okay. high and dry. And that's usually that's where you have success with poppy
0: and yep. do you you know I've found it's kind of like lupin you know it, we tend to have this problem especially in our Canabong store mm. you know where they do have really great soil for these plants you know it's sandy but still a little bit moist but the plants go dormant and then they stop watering them the rest of the summer and so they actually dry up and just expire because mm. they think they're they already
1: are dead right yeah and especially the first season you know first mm-hmm. season is key um, with any perennial, as you know, is to just keep on the watering. So whether it has gone dormant or not, usually the root system's there and is able to um, you know, still fight for the next year. So absolutely. Good tip. So, yep, So I wanted to also mention with that poppy, the, the combination plant that I thought of, um, which was uh, a salvia called Sensation Sky Blue. And salvias are, you know, one of those great May and June staples um, with, you know, a beautiful blue color, spiky flower, kind of a purple-blue. Um, this is a shorter variety, so it's much, much uh, better to go in, you know, the edgings of gardens or along walkway edges um, in limited spaces. Again, it would combine with that beautiful, you know, orange-red of that poppy well. Um, they're going to overlap and bloom frame as well Um, this is a short variety Uh, probably it's going to be in the 10 to 12 inch tall area Uh, in richer soils it will be a little bit taller but typically this plant would want really sunny situation sandy freely drained soil Um, and again it it has a great a long bloom time, like three weeks in the end of May, and then when you cut it back, every time you shear it, it will pop out with some new flowers. So
0: So again, that same theme of reblooming more blooms throughout the year. Exactly. Updated variety. I mean, a lot of the salvia do that. The newer varieties, for sure. The older varieties, not so much. Correct. Okay.
1: And so the last perennial I have is we're moving from May to all the way into August, July, end of July and August, a, a new sedum variety called um, Sun Sparkler Dazzleberry. So along with some of these uh, new plants, we're getting some exciting new names. I was going
0: to um, say, Dazzleberry,
1: that's Dazzleberry, <laughs> uh, it's a really beautiful low sedum, um, and it has a smoky blue-gray foliage, um, and then usually in August, Depending on the season, July, August, late July or August, it's covered in um, giant heads of raspberry-colored flowers. Uh, again, low edging areas. This is a great plant. Could be combined with, you know, the salvia I mentioned. When that has done its thing and run its course, this is going to take over for that spot in the fall. Um, so excellent-looking plant. The flower set holds up really well. It's very bright and vibrant. Sedums are incredibly easy, even in dry, clay-like soils, they, they hang on very well. So it's a really um, easy plant for most people to
0: grow. Yeah, sedums, we usually kind of kill them with kindness, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, I, at this point, I think we'll take a break, and we'll be back with more of the Joy of Gardening on News Talk WLOB. Geico says, let's make life simpler. Look, I'm all for modern conveniences. But ask yourself, do you really need a blender with 23 buttons just to chop an onion? At Geico, we think life should be simpler. So we make it super simple to save on car insurance. Just one click and you could be on your way to saving hundreds. Come on, people. Life doesn't have to be that complicated. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. More people are discovering that life juice is
1: the secret to starting a successful weight loss plan. Because when you cleanse with life juice, you're removing unhealthy toxins from your body while dramatically cutting calories out of your life. Now, all-natural life juice can be your easy start to finally losing weight. I lost six pounds and I feel great
0: individual results may vary so how much weight will life juice help you lose find out by starting today and you'll also get a free gift visit getlifejuice.com to make LifeJuice your secret to dropping unwanted pounds feel lighter look slimmer and cleanse your body faster than you thought possible and get a free gift visit getlifejuice.com that's getlifejuice.com Welcome back to The Joy of Gardening by Estabrooks. Uh, We're talking with nursery manager Jim Massey from Yarmouth. Uh, We have been talking new varieties, uh, but Jim, at this point I want to kind of pose a question from uh, our, our customer Norm in Springvale. And Norm, we talked to him last week about um, his galardia and, and the struggles he was having overwintering them, but uh, here he also has a problem with foxtail. Um, you know they're planted in full sun. Um, he has results in them blooming, but they don't return the next year. And he go, He's been going through this for f- four years, and he's he's given up. And he's he's always planted in in threes, and you know he's covered them with pine needles, and he's 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 doing everything he can to get them to go, but he's in Springvale. So what, what can? what's your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I think he's a foxtail lily. Um, it's a variety of plant called Arimaris. Um Beautiful that's, plant. That's
0: exactly what he's, what yeah. he's
1: got. And um, beautiful colors. They come in a range of yellows and sunset colors like peaches and oranges. Um, they get to be typically with a couple of different hybrids, about three feet tall, beautiful wands of flowers in June. Um, late June to July, but um, they really are listed as a Zone 5 perennial, but they're more along the lines of a Zone 6 perennial. So um, my experience is, uh, with that plant is years ago in Cape Elizabeth, um, which was, you know, a let's uh, say at that time um, it was a warm 5, almost a 6, and uh, depending on the winters you would lose them here or there. Um, They're really not uh, a reliable plant um, as I have grown it and at that time period I'd love to try it again but uh, my understanding with that plant is they would want a freely drained sandy soil that's uh, high in organic matter. Um, You would want to plant them on a mound. The crown wants to be uh, four to six inches deep. You plant them on a round mound. At the bottom of a trench, you spread the roots over them, kind of like you would plant a bare root rose or what have you.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, After the first season of bloom, you want to mulch them up very heavy um, with either, you know, full bales of hay. So, you know, they're good 18 inches deep. Just drop bales of hay on the entire um, area. Um, So that's, you know, quite a bit of maintenance for, you know, a few flowers. Again, great, great plant. I'm all for uh, growing plants that are a challenge because uh, I do a lot of that at my house. But, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's kind of tough in our climate. Um, They'd want to be real protected as well. So in an area of the garden where um, they're against a building. So that's probably, I'd say, the best options you have to to have success
0: with that plant. Yeah, and I want to let everybody know out there that if if there are things you're having problem with, certainly submit questions to esterbrooksonline.com backslash radio, and we'll air them on on the uh, the show here. Um, and you know, I brought Jim in on this question because you know he does try these obscure things and and tender things, and is always testing you know the limits of of the plants we can do up here, and. uh you know, brings a wealth of knowledge on on all of that, and and that kind of brings me, Jim, to, you know, let's talk a little bit about soil. Last week on the show, we talked a little bit about Gallardia with Norm here. Norm keeps submitting questions, so he's he's getting these answers. So please do so. Um, but on. On Gallardia and some of these others, um, let's talk a little bit about soil conditions, soil prep for some of these plants, you know, because it sounds like um, some of the failures on perennials in particular results right back to soils, re- resorts to even bed prep right from the get-go.
1: Yeah, and, um, you know, it's it's hard to put the right plant in the right soil all the time, especially if you have a bed that's, you know, consistently one thing or the other. You know, we talked uh, about um, peonies and dahlias. Uh, those plants can be put in a- pretty much any soil, except you know, dead, lean, nasty, dry soil, and still perform. Right. So, um, you know, going into the nursery and talking with your uh, your nursery person about the soil that you have, and even bringing a sample in, is always you know, um, very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, Usually in the nursery, though, they have a pretty good understanding or they should have a pretty good understanding of where you live and what kind of soil you have. And In Maine, we pretty much have two types of soil, you know, cl- uh, clay or, san- or sandy loam. Um, There's different variations of each. Um, but things like gallardia, you know, that Norm, was, uh, Norm had questions about, and this aremaris, um, mm-hmm. those, again, would want a sandy, um, freely drained soil. Uh, a good indicator on a lot of plants um, that you that you buy in the nursery, if they have a fragrant foliage or a fuzzy foliage, so let's say um, Russian sage has both a fuzzy or, or velvety foliage and its fragrant, and Gallardia, uh, or the, you know, the blanket flower that Norma's having trouble with, that has a um, fuzz to the foliage, mm-hmm. those are indicators that those plants want a dry or sandy or full sun environment.
0: Well, folks, um, I just learned something. <laughs> I did not know that, so that's a great tip.
1: That's generally, generally how it mm-hmm. works, and there's a few exceptions. Um,
0: it makes sense.
1: Yeah, and pretty much if the flower is orange or yellow or, you know, there's a lot of that, too. orange flowers pretty much are, give you an indication of something that would want a sunny situation. Okay.
0: okay. Yeah. Um, talk so, uh, talk to us about a little bit about fertility too, because it, it sound it sounds like you know some of these plants they don't want a lot of rich compost or uh, to be fertilized a bunch.
1: Correct, and uh, you know compost when you plant the plant to withhold to hold some moisture while the plant is establishing. Is always a great idea, but you know, over fertilization is, is a lot of times you know people's issue with not being able to keep the plant for the long term. So we recommend that you use uh, on any new perennial or any new tree or shrub even um, a root stimulator, which is going to give more um, fertilization to the root zone uh, rather than green growth. Oftentimes. Um, People will fertilize the plant with a lot of nitrogen, which will create more um, leaf growth, fewer flowers, and uh, the plant won't produce any roots much at all mm-hmm. in our in our hot main summers, and won't be able to um, handle whatever the winter brings. So, starting with the root of the plant is always. Ideal when you're trying to get uh, new perennials or new plants established in general.
0: And a product like Thrive, you know, and Rock Phosphate, some of those things are really good. You know, you, you don't feed a lot.
1: Correct, yep. yeah. And um, Thrive is a, is a great mycorrhizal prod, product, which has um, all kinds of good uh, fungus in it to help the plant feed itself or extract what it needs from the soil. And um, Rock Phosphate would be a ground phosphorus source that doesn't leach through groundwater. Um, it's not water soluble. The plant has to wrap its little root hairs around that product.
0: So very so, safe.
1: Yeah, and very safe. Um, both of those products would be very safe. And the rock phosphate, you know, if you're starting a new perennial garden, I mix it right into the, the soil, you know, um, as I prepare the bed because I know that those plants are going to need extra root potential so it's going to be there for the long haul. So,
0: so rock phosphate, work yep. it into your bed yep. and, then, and then water in with like a biotone or, or a thrive exactly, which is right. mycorrhizae, which, which basically it, it splits, splits the roots, correct? Right, and and yeah. then they can take up more water, take up more fertilizer, correct, and, yeah. and nutrients out of the soil. Exactly. Well, Jim, I'd I'd like to thank you for coming on today. Okay. Um You know, we'll have you back. I know there's a lot more that's new, and uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more of the joy of gardening from Estabrooks on News Talk WLOB. <laughs>
2: Do you have planting insurance? You can with Biotone Starter Plus from Mespoma. It's the ultimate starter plant food and you can use it for everything you plant. Just mix it in with the soil. It works like three products in one to guarantee your success, even in poor soils. The secret is a special blend of natural organic plant food, beneficial microbes, and mycorrhizal fungi. The result is that plants grow faster, roots grow deeper, and flowers and vegetables become more abundant. Maintain your plants with the Tones, a full line of organic plant foods including Holly Tone, Plant Tone, and Rose Tone. There's a tone for almost every tree, shrub, flower, or vegetable. Best of all, every Espoma product is safe for people, pets, and the environment. Look for Biotone Starter Plus at your local garden center and visit espoma.com slash videos for product info and valuable gardening tips. Espoma, a natural in the garden since 1929.
0: Welcome back to the Joy of Gardening. Uh, we just got off the phone here with Jim Massey, Estabrook's uh, nursery manager up in Yarmouth and all kinds of new things uh he's bringing to our attention. I just learned a big tip there on on you know if if the the foliage has fragrance or if the leaves have a pubescent hairs on them, you know that that perennial's probably going to take a, a drier, you know, sandier situation. That's you know, and that's the thing about you know nursery folks and and our, our staff in the garden centers or at your local independent garden center. The one thing is, it's that it's that little tidbit of knowledge. And every day I go to work, I swear I learn something new. Plants are ever changing. Our conditions are ever changing, you know. So, I don't profess to know everything, you know. Please submit your questions, you know, to esterbrooksonline.com backslash radio. If I don't know the answer. I'm going to research it and and get you some good information. I don't profess to know everything. It's such a changing world. There's so many varieties out there. Um, Certainly, I've got great resources like Jim and other folks in our industry to pull in on questions like this. So in the future, hopefully, we'll have some some more questions that we can bring other folks in and and talk about uh, things like this. And and to finish up the show here, we're going to kind of talk a little bit about meat roses. Rosa Ragosa invasive not invasive see them all over the seaside are they native are they not Um, you know there's been a lot of questions about this plant and whether or not we should be planting it or shouldn't and and whatnot Um, I don't know the answers on these things Um, but all I can do is kind of give you some tips on how to kind of care for them if you want to plant them where they'll work well Um, in a nutshell plant them anywhere you want they're bomb proof the biggest problem they have is they don't get enough water the first year after you plant them after that you you literally can run them over with a lawnmower and they'll come back so does that make them invasive yeah they're they're aggressive is what I would call them um, you know they are somewhat invasive you know it's one of those things where you need to kind of keep them in check and and a few things that we want to kind of talk about is that beech roses they are not all just the old species there are hybrid varieties also so you have your typical white pinks and there's lavenders um your white and pink your straight rosa rugosa and rosa rugosa alba is what you see all along the seaboard here it's what you see in people's yards they've got hedges they've got you name it they're all over the place we have some new varieties too um you know called the pavement series and and those are lower and spreading types. Same flower, same habit, except they're just smaller and they go more horizontal. So you know some improvements kind of coming down down the pike to sort of say of new varieties. There are many hybrid varieties of Rosa Ragosa. There's Therese Bognet, there's uh, Blanc Double Decobert. Um, some of those are, are for more fragrance. Um, Tree Spugnay, um I will say, has some foliage problems, so we don't sell it much. Um, Blanc Double Day Colbert is a nice white. Um, it seems to have a little more fragrance than the common white. Um, you know, a little bit less vigorous, but primarily we sell the old species the most. The Pavement Series, a little bit smaller, a um, little bit more compact. Over the life of the plant, I don't know if we're going to see a huge difference, but there are some lavenders in there. Purple pavement, it gives us kind of a more pinky lavender than the traditional pinky red. I call it more a pink. Some people call it a red. It's really a pink. Um, Rosa rugosa is something that we see everywhere, and this is kind of my tip of the week. So we're going to talk about how to care for Rosa rugosa. You see them in parking lots, you see them in people's yards, you see them along the beach, you see them with Japanese beetles all over them. So, you know, it is a Japanese beetle magnet. If you have them in a big enough stand, it's not so much of a concern. It is something you need to be considerate about if you're going to plant Rosa rugosa, because they do attract Japanese beetle. The one thing that um, with Rosa rugosa is that they need to be pruned back pretty consistently so take them back a third to half of the way every year so that means prune off half of your growth every year that will promote more suckering from the ground but it also will promote taking out those very big thorns that you get if you let them go for years You can take some of the canes all the way down to the ground, so taking 20 to 30% of the canes right back to the ground is not a bad idea. Thinning the foliage isn't a bad idea either to get more air movement through the plant. But taking back by a third to a half, what ends up happening is you make the plant branch. It suckers from the base, which means you get more flowers. More flowers is what we're all going for. Um, When it comes to Rosa Ragosa, it's got beautiful fragrance. Though, if you don't have that many flowers, you don't get much fragrance. So the pruning will help promote that. If you get to a point where you've had a very big plant for quite some time, and the plant you know, has a lot of leaves and and weeds and junk inside it, you can go ahead and and chop that plant right to the ground if you need to also. You can take it right back to the ground. It will grow up to two to three feet and bloom again that same season. My recommendation is to do it either fall or early spring. doesn't really matter. You could do it the middle of winter if we don't have any snow. It's an ironclad plant. Um, By pruning that, you know, you're going to promote more blossoms. The other thing that you can do is you can prune the rose hips off. Now, I love the rose hips. And if you've looked at a Rosa rugosa in the fall, you see all these orange rose hips all over the plant. Absolutely stunning. Now let's take it back to the invasiveness issue. All those rose hips are seeds. The birds might eat the rose hips. They might go over here and spread the seed so if you want to kind of cut down on the number of rows around you can take all those rose hips off at a certain point if you take them off when they're green during the whole summer the plant will continue to flower all summer if you leave the rose hips on it stops blooming so a lot of times if you get to a point where you see a lot of rose hips you can even take the head shears and just shear off all the heads the seeds are immature at that time and you're basically just going to shear them off and a lot of times they'll fall down into the base you know or you can rake them up and clean them up but by by taking those rose hips off you're going to continue to have that plant flower right into right into the fall frost i particularly like the rose hips so after say august 15th to september 1st i let it go to seed i think it brings a lot of interest to the garden later on in the season but again it all depends on if it's a summer house, maybe you keep them deadheaded because maybe September or October, you're not at the summer house anymore. So what does it matter? So keep those flowers coming, do a little bit of pruning along the way, and you'll have flowers on it the whole time. Rosa rugosa is a main staple. Hopefully, you'll get out and enjoy your garden, prune a little bit, clean up a little bit, and enjoy those rosagosa all summer. We'll see you next week. So get out there and have fun. Enjoy your garden. Tune in every week from 7 to 8 a.m. at WLOB, 1310 a.m., and WLOBRadio.com. To pick up the podcast, visit us at estabrooksonline.com and uh, enjoy your week. We hope to see you next week.